All right. Hey, good morning, folks. Let's try it again. Good morning. All right. Hey, welcome to Grace. Why don't you grab your Bibles at this point in time and uh, turn with me once again to Matthew chapter 13. We've been working our way in, uh, the, through the parables of the kingdom, and uh, we'll continue to do that this morning. Matthew chapter 13. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be plenty of Bibles scattered in the pewbacks in front of you. Uh, Matthew 13, we'll be looking at verses 44 through 46, and I trust that you're there close to it. Um, let's do this. Would you stand, and uh, we're going to read the parables together, and uh, we'll stand in honor of God's Word. So would you stand with me, please? And uh, we'll read two short parables, and then you can have a seat, and uh, I'll pray, and we'll get started. All right, this is a reading of God's holy word, the words of Jesus, verse uh, 44. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. And that is a reading of God's holy word. Would you uh, have a seat, please? Thanks. Let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, we're grateful for this morning. We're grateful uh, for the opportunity to be here, that we can have a warm building uh, to enjoy and to hear um, your word. Father, I pray that you would speak uh, through your word to us this morning. I pray that you would give me words that are clear and accurate and faithful. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would take uh, both your word, uh, inspired word, and the words that I'm saying to explain it, and that you would apply that word to our hearts, and that you would help us to evaluate our own treasures and that which is most important to us in light of what is most important to you. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our God and our Savior, and all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Friends, I want to ask you a quick question to get us started this morning. What is the most valuable thing? What is the most valuable object, if you will, that you have ever found? That you have ever run across or stumbled upon? Maybe it was a wad of cash on the ground, or, or maybe it was some valuable object that you happened to trip over or notice. Well, for me, um, likely the most a valuable thing monetarily that I have ever stumbled across is a golden uh, wedding ring. See, early in our marriage, before we had uh, kids, our PK, pre-kid days, Shelly and I were invited to go to a, a resort down in Mexico. And that resort looked something like this. You can see it on the screen behind me with her mom and dad, thanks to her mom and dad. And one day we were doing what you do at a resort, right? We were chilling on the beach. And I show you this image because there was a, a, a sort of a little cove, right? You can see it. Uh, we were there and enjoying ourselves when uh, we were sort of interrupted by one woman who was sort of frantically uh, going from like one uh, place to another, one hut to the other, saying, have you seen my ring? Have you seen my ring? Have you seen my ring? And so she came to us and she said, have you seen my ring? I, I, I uh, ha- had a wedding ring and uh, I've lost it. I can't find it. I think it's probably somewhere here, either in the sand or, or maybe in the water of this little inlet. Would you help us look? And so Shelly and, and I and our family, you know, we uh, did that. And so we began to look. We looked in the sand and we looked in the, in the little cove area. And uh, I don't recall which one of us found uh, this golden wedding ring. But at some point, one of us said, I found something, right? And, and here it is. It's, it's a ring. And uh, we were, you know, pretty excited. And so we took it to the woman and much to both her and our disappointment appointment, it was not her ring, right? It was, it was like a man's ring or something, right? But it was just golden ring. Like, we found a ring, you know? Well, apparently somebody else had lost a ring, and there it was. 
was, and we had found it. And so we sort of asked around, hey, is this anybody's, is this anybody's, you know, and, and it wasn't. And so that ring became ours, right? And so it's, it's in our house. So I want to ask you, what's the most important thing? <laughs> in my house, mine. What's the most important, it's biblical, I'll show you, it's in the parable. What's the, mo- <laughs> what's the most important thing that you have ever run across? See, there are probably things that we have found that are sort of monetarily valuable. But friends, let me tell you today, if you are a Christian, then uh, you, along with me and many, many others, can answer that question in a bit of a different way. See, the most valuable thing, if you are in Christ, the most valuable thing that you could ever find is, in Jesus' words, the kingdom of God. Our entrance into and our citizenship of and our participation in the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom of God is of utmost and inestimable value. And it is the overarching theme and point of Jesus' two parables today. First of all, the parable of the hidden treasure. And second of all, the parable of the pearl. Uh, Dr. Mark Bailey, president of Dallas Seminary, writes this about these two parables. He says, the next two parables address the value of the kingdom. The value of the kingdom. Whether one is looking or not looking, no sacrifice is too great for the kingdom of heaven. Now, these are the, the fifth and the sixth parables that we will see in Matthew chapter 13. And these are the first two private parables that Jesus gives just to his disciples. So I want to begin by taking a brief look at the parables themselves. And then I want to transition to the point of the parables. In other words, what is Jesus teaching? What do these parables mean? And then we'll close with four principles from the parables. So let's begin with the first parable, the parable of the hidden treasure, and we'll read it again starting in verse 44. It reads this way. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, it's like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. So once again, we've seen this before in the parables. In chapter 13, Jesus likens the kingdom of heaven to something that would be very sort of familiar to the hearers of his day. In this parable, he likens it to treasure hidden in a field. Now that sort of may come across as curious to us because I don't know about you, but I don't take my cash on hand and hide it in a field and I don't take my valuables and uh, dig a hole in the ground and and bury it there. But uh, back then, that's exactly what they do, right? Today, we place our money in in the bank or in a safe, right, for for safekeeping. But in Jesus' day, of course, there were no such conveniences. See, what they would do, the practice essentially of, of hiding valuables in a secret place, digging a hole in the ground was actually quite common. In fact, one Jewish historian by the name of Josephus verifies this when he writes, the gold and silver and the rest of the most precious furniture which the Jews had and which the owners treasured underground was done to withstand the fortunes of war. Uh, you may recall uh, Jesus mentioning this, right? There's a, another story we'll get to uh, a few months from now in Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. You may remember it, right? Uh, Jesus likens, uh, there's, there's a man and he, he, he owns money and he gives uh, a, a sum of money to four stewards. And there was one steward who Jesus rebukes, remember? What did that man do with the money? Do you remember? He 
He buried it, right? He buried it. Well, that's a reference to, to a common practice in that day. In fact, uh, the land of Palestine for uh, hundreds of years was such a battleground. People coming and leaving that families would often bury their treasures, uh, hide them away in order to protect them from sort of invading enemy soldiers and armies, thus creating in that land uh, a, a virtual treasure hunter's paradise, essentially. And, and that's exactly the, the scenario that Jesus played out, right? The kingdom of heaven is like that. It's like a man who hid his treasure in the field. Well, then what would happen when a treasure that somebody would hide and then uh, be lost, essentially? What, what would happen when somebody stumbles upon it? Well, that's exactly the scenario Jesus plays out. He says, when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had bought for that field. In other words, he stumbled across it. We're not told what this man was doing. Maybe he worked for the owner of the field. Maybe he was just passing by and happened to notice something protruding up from that field. Regardless of the detail, we know that he noticed that there was treasure in that field. And he said, I have to have that treasure. So what does he do? He takes all that he has, he sells it, and and for joy, he sells all that he has because he recognizes the supreme value of what? That treasure. And so he buys the field, and the treasure is his. You know, that sort of thing still happens today where people uh, sort of stumble upon valuable treasure. I ran across a Yahoo report, and it goes something like this. Man loses keys finds 15th century relics instead. Have you ever lost your keys, my friends? I won't have you raise your hands, but I'm guessing that most of you, like myself, maybe multiple times, have lost your keys. Well, that, that's what happened to this man. In fact, there's a man by the name of Efer Edwards, and he's a, he's a Welsh farmer. Uh, he lost his keys, and he found this extraordinary treasure. In fact, the article goes on to say that he dropped his keys on a plot of, of land that he owned. And he was so determined to find them that he and his wife hired a metal-detecting service. And this metal-detecting service, well, they, they found the keys, certainly. But the story goes on to tell that they found 14 medieval coins. 14 medieval coins from the 14th and 15th centuries. And the experts, after they looked at these coins, deemed the coins... And I quote, a treasure, a once in a lifetime finding. And so like Ephraim Edwards, who sort of stumbles upon the treasure, so does the man in this first parable, the parable of the hidden treasure. Well, let's take a look at the second. These are short and fairly simple parables. The second parable is the parable of the, we'll call it the pearl of great price, if you will. Let's read in verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. See, in this parable, Jesus likens the kingdom not necessarily to a, to a man who stumbles upon a treasure. No, he likens the kingdom to a merchant who diligently, diligently is looking for a treasure. In this case, what is he looking for? Well, he's looking for a pearl, right? And not just any pearl. He is looking for a a fine pearl, an expensive pearl, a pearl of great price. And after diligently looking for it, what does he do? Well, he, he buys it. Here Jesus speaks of a, of a wholesale dealer, essentially, right? He, he buys merchandise, he sells merchandise, and he's on the prowl for, for precious pearls, and he, and he finds that pearl. And so what does he do? Well, it sounds very similar to, to the man in the prior parable, right? He, he finds the pearl and he deems it uh, um, 
extremely valuable. And so he goes and he sells all that he has and he goes and he buys back that pearl. Now, pearls in that day, they were um, highly valuable gems in the ancient world. They were often uh, bought by the wealthy as investments, much like you would buy like gold or maybe even diamonds today. They hold their value. That's what pearls were deemed to be in the ancient world. In fact, emperors and queens would would wear them to display their their wealth. And I even read that the very wealthy would display their great prosperity by taking a pearl and dissolving it in vinegar vinegar, and then putting it in their wine and drinking it to show, hey, I can can drink my wealth, right? I'm so extremely wealthy. Well, in this parable, the merchant finds what he's looking for, the pearl of great price. He sells all that he has and he buys that pearl. Well, treasure hunting apparently still happens today. I did a brief Google internet search, and there are TV shows about that sort of thing that you can find that were pretty fascinating. I also ran across a story, a true story, of, of American deep-sea diving explorers, and they were looking for a treasure. In fact, they were looking for a particular ship. There was a, a, a British ship that was sunk by the Germans in World War II, and that ship was said to have um, quite the treasure. Uh, in fact, a bunch of silver, 61 tons to be exact, of silver. And as the story goes, they found it and they began to ex- extract it. And, and they, uh, at, at the time of printing the article, they had extracted some $38 million worth of silver. And here's the kicker. Uh, they said that there was about 80% left yet to be extracted. That is quite the treasure, quite the, the find. And they were looking for it. They knew where it was and they found it, much like this merchant who was searching for the, pine, for the fine pearls. So, we've just sort of taken a cursory look, right? The parable of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great price. And so we need to then sort of shift gears and ask ourselves, what, um, what is the point of these parables, right? What, what does Jesus intend to teach us and to show us about the kingdom of heaven from these two particular parables? How are we to understand them? Well, the main questions that we need to ask uh, are this. Number one, what, uh, what is the treasure and what is the pearl, right? Because there's a, there's a treasure that's very valuable, and then there are pearls that are very valuable. But, but what do those represent? What is the treasure, and what is the pearl? And then the second question is, who is the man who sort of stumbles upon the treasure, and who is the merchant, right? Because these things go together. What does the treasure represent, and the people who find the treasure, who do they Represent Well, there are a, a couple main views, but the one that I, th- I personally find most convincing is this. I, I believe that the best view is that the treasure in the first parable and the pearl in the second parable represent the kingdom of God. Represent the kingdom of God. In this context, I take it to mean the kingdom phase of the church. That is the gospel. Salvation in Jesus Christ. So what what is the treasure? What is the pearl that is extremely valuable? I think it, 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 it refers to the kingdom. To the kingdom of heaven. Entrance into it and participation in it. Well then what... Uh, who, who is the man, right? And, and who is the merchant? Well, I think that the man and the mer- merchant both simultaneously represent those who find the kingdom, those who become uh, disciples of Jesus. These are people, I believe, who have discovered the grace of God in the good news of the kingdom. And I think that these two parables together, in those parables, I think we see a couple things. I think we see, first off, the conversion of a disciple. 
the conversion of a disciple. And then second of all, I think we see the cost of discipleship. The conversion of a disciple and the cost of discipleship, right? I, I think we see the conversion of a disciple and that in the parables, both the man and the merchant recognize the value of the kingdom. Do they not? One stumbles upon it, the other is looking for it, but in both cases, they recognize this is the most valuable thing that I could ever possess. A picture, I believe, of the conversion of a disciple of Jesus Christ. And they, what do they do? They take steps, personal steps, to procure that which they find most valuable. But, but, but I think the cost of discipleship is also highlighted, right? Because both of them, there was nothing that they were unwilling to sacrifice, right? There was nothing that they were unwilling to give up in order to have that which they deemed to be most valuable. One commentator by the name of Bloomberg, I think he hits it on the head when he says that the point of these parables are that, and I quote, true disciples are those who recognize that God's kingdom is so valuable, that's conversion of a disciple, that it's worth sacrificing whatever it takes to be its citizens. I think that describes the cost of Discipleship. So with this interpretation in mind, I want to, want to close with four overarching principles, four principles that we can draw from and apply from these two small parables. And the first is this. The kingdom may be entered through stumbling or through sinking. The kingdom of God may be entered into through stumbling or through seeking, that is, in our experience. Some of us, stumble upon the gospel. We stumble upon this valuable treasure, the kingdom of God. And some of us, well, we seek after it, but the kingdom can be entered in through both. I want to share a quick story. I have a a pastor friend from Rantoul. And uh, one day we were going uh, to a conference together, and so he uh, was showing us this backpack that he had just bought off of a, I think it was like a Facebook swap site. And it was a nice University of Illinois backpack, seemingly brand new. And... uh, he, he told us a story that he, he had purchased it in order to go to this conference. And uh, a few days later, he was starting to pack his stuff, right, to, to pack his bags. And he found um, a, a Ziploc bag sort of uh, in, in that particular bag. And it had $250 cash in it. So he's like, oh, okay. Um, and so he, he knew who he bought it from. And so he, he notified the seller. And he's like, this is what I found. Surely the cash is yours. And she said, you know what? I've never even looked in the bag. I actually bought it at an auction in the Quad Cities. And so, you know, do what you want. And so notice the theme here. He kept it, right? He stumbled, if you will, upon this, this treasure. I think in a, in a similar way, the parable of the hidden treasure shows us that experientially, experientially, some of us simply stumble upon the kingdom of God. That is, for some of us, we weren't looking when we got saved, when we were converted, when we were born again, we weren't looking for anything spiritual. We were merely living our lives without much concern for God and much concern for sin or much care about salvation. And somehow, like the man in the parable, just sort of in the course of everyday life, we sort of stumbled upon this infinitely valuable treasure, the gospel of Christ, being a part of the kingdom of God. So, so maybe it was a friend who, who shared the gospel with you in school. Maybe you stumbled upon the gospel when a neighbor invited you to come to church and you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. Maybe uh, you were listening to the radio and you heard a, a, a preacher or someone share the gospel 
via the radio. Maybe it was a, a, a family member or, who, or whatever it was. You just sort of stumbled upon it. Your eyes were open to the glory of Christ and the value of the gospel. And you were saved by the grace of God. I, I can think of biblical examples, right? I think of the life of Paul. Uh, you know that guy who was killing Christians, that guy, he was not necessarily seeking the kingdom. He thought he was, but boy, he wasn't, right? He was uh, opposite of that. And what happened? He's on the road. Jesus reveals himself to Paul. And just like that, he was converted. I think of the woman at the well who was simply going like she probably had many times in her life. She was going to draw, to draw water at the well. And who did she meet there? She met Jesus, the, the living water. I think of the blind beggar in Jerusalem. His day probably started like any other. And he encountered Jesus. And not only did he have physical eyesight, but he was given spiritual eyesight. And so I think this parable teaches us that some of us in our experience, well, we just sort of stumble upon the gospel. But still others, I think, we, we seek it. More like the merchant, right? We, we, we know that there's truth out there. We know that God exists. And, and we, we want to find out See, some by God's grace are given this insatiable desire to know the truth and we simply won't rest until we find it. I think of maybe the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He's reading the scroll of Isaiah and God sends the gospel to him via Philip. I think of Cornelius, right? Uh, Another uh, Gentile who was a a Jewish proselyte and and there in Acts chapter 10, Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter comes and shares the gospel with them. These men and many other people like them were sort of looking for, for spiritual pearls. And God opened your eyes to see the, the priceless pearl of the kingdom. But friends, we need to be clear, regardless of whether we stumble upon the gospel in our experience or, or, or if we're seeking it, we know from the scriptures that by God's grace, he pursues us. And by God's grace, he was actually seeking us First, whether we stumbled or whether we sought it. And so the kingdom can be stumbled upon and it can be sought after. Number two, the kingdom, and I think this is the main point, really, of these two parables. The kingdom is infinitely valuable. The kingdom is infinitely valuable. Certainly, this is emphasized in both parables and it, it is its primary point. See, the, the parables are pictures. Uh, they're stories meant to show us that that the kingdom is of incomparable worth, that it is incomprehensibly value, that is, that being a citizen of the kingdom of God, um, being a member of the body of Christ, that being a sheep in his flock, being adopted as a son and daughter of the king, and all of the benefits that come along with it, that that is that which is most important. Simply put, being a Christian, being saved by grace, being a part of Jesus' kingdom is the most valuable thing. On the immeasurable worth of the kingdom, one preacher, Scottish preacher, and I'm not going to pretend to say it in a Scottish accent, sorry. Thomas Guthrie, he wrote this. He said, in the blood of Christ, to wash out sin's darkest stains, in the grace of God to purify the foulest hearts, in the peace to calm life's roughest storms, in hopes to cheer guilt's darkest hour in a courage that defies death and descends calmly into the tomb, and that which makes the poorest rich, and without, the richest are poor indeed. He says the gospel has treasure far, farther far than east or west unfold, and its rewards are more precious than all the stores of gold. 
It's a great quote. Because, friends, if you're a Christian, then you've experienced those things, and you can say a hearty amen to that. Friend, let me ask you very humbly, is this true of you? Do the words of this Scottish preacher ring true in your hearts personally? Do you know these riches these treasures that are in Christ? I mean, when you, when you hear and are reminded of the blood of Christ that washes out our deepest stains, do you say, that is the, the only thing I really want in life? When you hear that quote and you say, yeah, it's, it's the grace of God to purify this wicked and foul heart, that is most valuable. Is that, is that, is that true of you? Can you say as we sung in the hymn this morning that in the arms of our dear Savior there are 10,000 charms? Friends, quite simply, is the kingdom of God that which is most valuable to you? There is no pearl. There is no treasure like having a relationship with God through faith in Christ. Well, there's a third principle from the parables. And it's that the kingdom, consequently then, is worth any sacrifice. That the kingdom is worth any sacrifice. Certainly, another common theme in these two parables is that both the man and the merchant did what? They saw the treasure and they sold some of what they had. Is that what it says? What does it say? They sold all of what they had, right? The treasure was so valuable that any sacrifice, any cost to be a part of that, to have that, was joy to them. They were willing to give it up, right? They sold everything they had because they had found, catch this, they had found a better treasure, right? So whatever they treasured before, they had found a superior treasure and they were willing to let go of that uh, less superior treasure. In other words, anything that we may lose as a result of our entering in the kingdom and participating in the kingdom is a worthwhile sacrifice, is a worthwhile sacrifice compared to having the kingdom. I think these parables teach us a very simple truth, that when we come to Christ as our Savior, we come to Him both as Savior and Lord. We surrender the rights of our life. We surrender everything to Him. We trust in Him as Savior, yes, but we submit to Him as Lord as well. For Jesus is both Savior and Lord. I mean, I think just in the Gospels, numerous times we see Jesus calling for this sort of sacrifice, for, for this sort of cost, if you will, of one man who wanted to follow Him. He said, you must sacrifice the uh, make a, a sacrifice of comfort in Matthew 8, right? He says, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Uh, of, of the man who came next, he said, you need to sacrifice your willingness to, to gain this inheritance when your, father's die, when your father dies in verse 21. Remember that? Let the dead bury their own dead. Remember? You come and follow me. Of one man, he, he, he demanded the sacrifice uh, of family ties in Luke 9. Of another man, uh, of all of his wealth in Matthew chapter 19. And on and on and on we could go. But I think Jesus sum, sums it up pretty nicely in Luke 14, verse 33. When he says, so therefore, and this is on the heels of teaching about the cost of discipleship. In, in verse 33, Jesus says, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. And so, back to these parables. Here's the stunning thing to me. That these men, the merchant and the man, when they find the treasure, do they begrudgingly give up what they have? Do they, uh, do they, do, they do some complaining? Man, I've got to give up my, my wealth and I've got to give up everything that I own to get this treasure. No. What does the text say? 
that in, in his joy, right, he gave up that stuff because he found something incomparably more valuable. Christian, Christian, any sacrifice that you're going to make, any cost that the kingdom of Christ is going to demand upon you, any, any, anything that you have to give up to become a Christian and then to follow Christ, I think this parable is saying it is worth it. You have a far greater treasure. So, so your sacrifice of, of a life pursuing sin and self, it's worth it. The sacrifice of time and treasure for serving Christ in his kingdom. This parable says it's worth it. Your sacrifice maybe of any popularity or, or, or a relationship that might be hurt for faithfully following Christ. This, these parables are screaming out to you, it is worth it. You have a far greater treasure. So let me ask it this way with a question like this. What do you feel like God has in the past or is presently, right? What do you feel like God has in the past or is presently asking you to sacrifice, to give up for his sake? I want you to think about that just for a moment. What is it that you feel like he is asking you to sacrifice or give up? The point of these parables is that whatever your answer is, it's worth it. Whatever your answer is, it is worth it. And then there's a a fourth principle, and we'll close with this. The kingdom is the source of true joy. I think this parable highlights it once again, right? The man found the treasure in the field, and then in his joy, he went and he sold all that he had, and he bought that field. See, in his joy, it was his joy to sell all that he had because his joy was derived from the treasure that he was about to obtain. You see that? It was his joy to sell all that he had because his joy was derived from the treasure that he was about to obtain. The treasure in the field, which is the kingdom, is thus the source of true joy. In fact, if you uh, want to look at John chapter 15, it's a wonderful passage. There in John chapter 15, it's a part of the upper room discourse, right? Jesus is using, uh, he's, he's spending some valuable hours before he goes to the cross, and he's teaching his disciples some really important stuff. He's comforting them. He's teaching them about the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 15, he tells them to abide in him. He says, abide in me, bear much fruit, pray, right? And then he says, at the end of that little section in verse 11. Obey me, bear much fruit, abide in me, follow me. In verse 11, he says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Pastor John MacArthur, I think, sums it up well. He says, the only true and eternal joy is the joy found in Christ and his kingdom because man was made by God for himself. And so in these two little parables, we get some wonderful truths that we can anchor our lives upon. Well, I'll close with this, and then we'll close in prayer. There's a story. Uh, The great British preacher, Charles Spurgeon. In fact, he was called the Prince of Preachers, maybe the best preacher uh, ever known in history. He was giving a sermon, and he shared in that sermon a true story about a man that he knew in London in his day. And Spurgeon went on to say that there was a man who put an ad in the religious section of the local newspaper. And in that ad, he was challenging. He, he asked uh, any Christian to come forward and to declare if he had not found true joy in Christ or to, to declare it to the world that he, had, he or she regretted 
the decision to trust in Christ as Savior and to follow Him in Lord, as Lord. And so as, as the sermon went on, he said that, that this, this ad appeared in the newspaper for a length of time and that apparently there was not one person who answered the ad. And then Spurgeon closed the illustration this way, and I quote, he said, No one answered the ad because they cannot make the case. Friends, Jesus and his gospel and his kingdom, as we've seen in these two parables, truly are the greatest treasure. It is the pearl of great price. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would sink these truths deep into our hearts. And Lord, if there are things that we are valuing and treasuring in our hearts above participation in and entrance into your kingdom, then Lord, we pray that you would reveal those to us and that you would weed them out because truly uh, knowing you and serving you is the greatest joy that there ever is. Uh, It is of inestimable inestimable value and in anything that you call us to give up for the sake of knowing and following you, it uh, it is nothing. We do it with joy. We pray that you would make that true in our hearts and in our lives. And Father, I pray if there's a man or a woman, a boy or a girl, and they don't know uh, this joy, that they don't, they don't personally possess this pearl of great price, that they, don't, they have not uh, acquired through faith in Jesus Christ uh, the forgiveness of sins and, and reconciliation with you, if they've not been born again, if they, if they don't possess this hidden treasure, Lord, we pray that you would open their eyes, that they might see, and that you would give them a heart that is full of faith in this Jesus. And in his arms, truly, there are 10,000 charms. We pray it in his name. And God's people said, amen. See you next week, guys. Thanks.